Good morning, it's Ayawimala, and this is Sunday, June the 6th. We have a lot of sunshine, but clouds, it's going to be very hot today. And when we really feel the heat here, that's when it's uh, muggy and humid, so that's going to be the day today. But I'm going to be out all afternoon at uh, the Pleasant Valley Conservancy area, which is here in Crystal Lake. It's between Crystal Lake and Woodstock here in Illinois. And our faith, our uh, interfaith group is putting on a really nice afternoon where people can come and go on guided walks. Uh, two of the other monks from Blue Lotus and I will be, will be in one station where we're leading guided meditations. And uh, there'll be some art, watercolors being done at another station and some other activities. And, and then also these guided walks and different uh, things from different faith traditions in nature. So I'm looking forward to that. Doesn't matter if it's hot. Uh, it'll be, it's a beautiful place for hiking and walking. So I feel really delighted to get to be part of that this afternoon. So if you're in that area, between 2 and 5, that's when it's happening. So that's here locally, and I hope you have uh, good good ways to get out. Morning. Whoop. Okay, I think we've got a bad, it says that there's a low connection uh, issue going on. So hopefully I'm not... Uh, frozen on your screen. So I've been reading some of the essays, which I just love from The Issue at Hand, which is Gil Fronsdale's book, Essays on Buddhist Mindfulness Practice. So, uh, and the talk Saturday at the Blue Lotus was by Bhante Wimala, and uh, he's a Sri Lankan monk, but he's living in Czechoslovakia. It was a wonderful talk, and he touched on exactly some things we had talked about in Friday's uh, talk here. So if you, if you can go and listen to his talk, I think there's a link. I think you can get that on the, the Blue Lotus Temple Facebook page. So this is mindfulness. This chapter is Mindfulness of Breathing. And it follows right on our brief instructions for sitting meditation. And remember the Dhammapada verse that I read that was the introduction to that essay. Better than 100 years live devoid of insight and unsettled is one day lived with insight and absorbed in meditation. And that's Dhammapada 111. And uh, in his translation of the Dhammapada, Gil, I mean, the, his numbering, uh, 111, is different from other numbering. I discovered that. So let's go to the one after that, mindfulness of breathing. Now, this is uh, just an essay, but the next, the, it's a very short one, and then the body at the center mindfulness of the body in the practice instructions of the Buddha. 
then I, well, it's a little bit longer, but I will read that as our meditation. So first we'll go through his, uh, this short essay, and then I'll read the one that's a little bit longer, but we'll do that as a meditation, a guided meditation. Mindfulness of breathing. Mindfulness meditation usually begins with awareness of breathing. In fact, breath is the foundation of many forms of Buddhist meditation practice. My Zen teacher in Japan said that mindfulness of breathing is enough in and of itself for a person to become fully awakened. The repertoire of religious practices of the world contains a wealth of useful breath meditations. Many involve patterns of conscious breathing, breathing long and deeply, emphasizing the exhalation over the inhalation, breathing fast or slow through the nose or mouth, intentionally pausing between breaths, directing the breath to different parts of the body. In mindfulness practice, we are not trying to change the breath. We are simply attending to the breath as it is. Mindfulness meditation uh, as the Buddha, as the Buddha taught it. In mindfulness practice, we are not trying to change the breath. We are simply attending to the breath as it is, getting to know it as it is, regardless of how it is, shallow or deep, long or short, slow or fast, smooth or rough, coarse or refined, constricted or loose. For the practice of mindfulness, there is no ideal breath. If we impose a rigid pattern on our breathing, we might miss how our own particular physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual patterns are expressed through breathing. Okay, if we impose a rigid pattern on our breathing, we might miss how our own particular physical, emotional and spiritual patterns patterns are expressed through breathing. Because of the mind's tendency to be scattered and easily distracted by daydreams and thoughts, we use the breath to help anchor us to the present. By repeatedly coming back to rest in the breath, we are countering the strong forces of distraction. This trains the mind, heart, and body to become settled and unified on one thing, at one place, at one time. If you are sitting in meditation and your mind is on what you did at work today, or yesterday, or Friday, your mind and body are not in the same place at the same time. When, you are, when we are fragmented in this way, we easily lose touch, with a holistic sense of ourselves. Mindfulness of breathing can be a powerful ally in our lives. With steady awareness of our inhalations and exhalations, the breath can become an equanimous constant through the ups and downs of our daily life. By resting with and perhaps even enjoying the cycles of breathing, we are less likely to be caught up in the emotional and mental events that pass through us. That's really the key, isn't it? 
Repeatedly returning to the breath can be a highly effective training in letting go of patterns of identification and holding and holding that frees the mind and heart. Since our breath is not independent from our mental and emotional life, often our emotions, attitudes, and concerns are expressed in the way we breathe. Patterns of breathing change with our varied emotions. With fear and sadness, the breath can be constricted. With anger, it can be strong and forced. With peace and calm, it can be easy and relaxed. The etymological root of the word anxious is choking. And choking or constricting the breath is how we sometimes control or hold back excitement or energetic states of being. Remember that in mindfulness practice, we simply notice what is happening without adding our judgments about how our breath, our inner life, or we should be. However, attention, just like other mental states, can affect the breath in its own way, often by slowing and calming it, but sometimes by releasing it from our holding. Remembering to be aware of the breath can lubricate difficult situations. This is because the power of attention itself is helpful in any situation and also because attention directed to the breath can keep our breath and us from becoming rigid. It's wonderful. So I think that's really helpful in also helping us uh, distinguish between mind, other mindfulness practices. Uh, Gill is talking specifically about the Buddha's teachings. So, and in that practice, we always remember, we simply notice what is happening without adding our judgments about how our breath or inner life or we should be. And then that becomes how we're able to see the world as well without judgment. So now I'd like to read as our guided meditation his next essay. And the quote he begins this with is also from uh, the Majjhima Nikaya. Well, let me read first the, the Majjhima Nikaya, the quotation at the beginning of the essay I just read. I forgot to read this one. It's from Majjhima Nikaya 118.15. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivating, it is of great fruit and great benefit. When mindfulness of breathing is developed and cultivating, it fulfills the four foundations of mindfulness. When the four foundations of mindfulness are developed and cultivated, they fulfill the seven enlightenment factors. When the seven enlightenment factors are developed and cultivated, they fulfill true knowledge and deliverance. So now let's sit. Your body is realizing uh, now it's time to sit to do this beautiful practice. And 
I'm going to read this essay just as the guide. And here's the quote. Just be aware of the body breathing as I read and have that awareness without judgment. Mindfulness of the body, when developed and cultivated, is of great fruit and great benefit. And that's from Majjhima Nikaya 119.2. The body at the center, mindfulness of the body in the practice, instructions of the Buddha. I did not begin, and this is Gil talking, I did not begin my Buddhist practice with any intention to discover my body. I had no idea that the body had any importance to the path of practice, except as something to place on the meditation cushion. Even during the early months and years of my meditation practice, when my body painfully revealed areas of tightness, tension, and psychological holding patterns, I was convinced that these physical difficulties were nuisances to be ignored or transcended rather than the actual substance and unfolding of practice. Slowly, over the years, as my body began to come alive, I was, and still am, repeatedly surprised at how much awareness, love, and compassion are found in and through the body. I have learned that mindfulness of the body is the foundation of mindfulness practice and one of the best friends we have for integrating that practice into daily life. The Buddha himself said, there is one thing that when cultivated and regularly practiced leads to deep spiritual intention, to peace, to mindfulness, and deep comprehension, to vision and knowledge, to a happy life here and now, and to the culmination of wisdom and awakening. And what is that one thing? Mindfulness centered on the body. Elsewhere, the Buddha said, if the body is not cultivated, the mind cannot be cultivated. If the body is cultivated, then the mind can be cultivated. You can find shelf after shelf of Western books on Buddhism that make virtually no mention of the body, thus giving or reinforcing the impression that Buddhism is an intellectual or mentally oriented religion. In contrast to this impression, I understand Buddhist practice, especially the practice of mindfulness, to be an invitation to experience our bodies and to embody our experiences. Or as a scripture on the four foundations of mindfulness, and that's the Satipatthana Sutta, puts it to experience the breath in the breath and the body in the body. Distancing himself from metaphysics and speculations, the Buddha was interested in understanding how we experience and perceive directly through our psychophysical senses. He taught that for the purpose of awakening and spiritual freedom, everything we need to realize of the world is found within our body. 
without rejecting the notion of an objective world, the Buddha focused so much on the role of the senses and perception that he repeatedly claimed that within this very fathom-long body, with its perceptions and inner sense, lies the world, the cause of the world, the cessation of the world, and the path that leads to the sensation of the world. During my early Vipassana practice in Thailand, Ajahn Buddha Dasa said at the opening of a 10-day retreat, do not do anything that takes you out of your body. I carried this, for me puzzling, instruction with me during the 10-day retreat and I began to realize how often my center of attention and gravity were projected in front of me as I so frequently reached forward to grasp or identify with something outside of myself. The anticipation of lunch at the end of a meditation period, the rehashing of memories, the planning for future events, and the desire for or aversion to emotions or states of mind all contributed to a sense of not being physically centered on myself. Often I would feel as if I was ahead of myself, either by actually leaning forward or more usually and more subtly by feeling my center of gravity projected forward. In the course of the 10-day retreat, I began to learn to settle back into my own center of gravity and to align my body in, in a balanced, critical, a vertical, a balanced, vertical posture. The more settled I felt in my body, the more sensitive I became to ever subtler involvement movements. Let me read that again. My eyes are not uh, help, helpful today. The more settled I felt in my body, the more sensitive I became to ever subtler movements away from center caused by ever subtler attachments and aversions of the mind. Gradually, I learned that mindfulness of the body is one of the best windows I have into an honest view of my inner life. In contrast to a trend in Western culture to posit a radical the human mind and body as intimately interconnected. When we repress or suppress aspects of our emotional and cognitive life, we tend to disconnect ourselves from our body. The exploration and awakening of the body from the inside through mindfulness and awareness can result in a rediscovery of suppressed emotions and also a greater capacity to feel emotions, to be sentient beings. Mindfulness of the body can greatly facilitate our capacity for being present for painful or overwhelming emotions by helping to recognize that the body is the container for those emotions. Buddhist psychology teaches that emotions are virtually always embodied and so can be felt in the body. 
Sometimes fear involves a tightening of the stomach, anger a heated face, joy a tingling or warmth in the chest, and restlessness and energy coursing through the arms. By focusing on the bodily sensations produced by difficult emotions, we can more easily remain present for them and allow mind mindfulness to reveal their deeper nature. Our Western culture has cultivated a tremendous amount of resources to strengthen our predilection to treat the body as an object to be manipulated. I'm going to read that again, okay? Our Western culture has devoted a tremendous amount of resources to strengthening our predilection to treat the body as an object to be manipulated. Body consciousness has come to refer to the external image that we not only project, but also create with the help of cosmetics, hairstylists, the fashion and advertising industries, and the local gym, or local gyms these days, right? By contrast, in mindfulness practice, we are developing a form of body consciousness that involves a subjective awareness of the body from the inside. This inner subjective world is the source of our, our vitality. Objectifying the body can disconnect us from that sense of aliveness. When we begin to be aware of how we actually and directly experience the body from the inside, we begin to learn that the body is an awareness and a process and not simply a thing. The Buddhist tradition distinguishes a variety of bodies, the energy body, the bliss body, the transformation body, the diamond body, the karmic body, and the awareness body. A meditator can experience all of these different bodies often as a flow of energy or field of attention. In developing mindfulness of the body, Vipassana students are counteracting not only the cultural forces that reinforces solid and objective body image, but also our own psychological forces that do so. Our psychophysical holding patterns, such as the tightening of the stomach, shoulders, or jaws, help create a sense of false or illusionary solidity as we shield ourselves from whatever is fearful or painful. As mindfulness practice develops, we learn to trust our inner experience, our awareness, and our, for our capacity for being present for even difficult states of being. However, mindfulness practice does not, not lead to rejection of all body images and self-imaging. Rather, we learn the flexibility to move easily between appropriate body images and the openness and imagelessness of direct experience. There are times when it is a great limitation. And regardless of our value, regardless of the value of open egoless states, 
we must remember that holding on to such states can cause great suffering. Mindfulness practice is less about attaining some particular state than about attaining freedom and flexibility within all states. As meditation opens the ego boundaries that the world may or may not require of us, mindfulness of the body helps to create a healthy center within the openness. Oh, this is, this is really wonderful. I know a lot of us have boundary issues and often when we feel our hearts, this is me, we must speaking now, and often when we, when we open our hearts, a lot of the questions that come up is now with this, my heart more open, with these beautiful teachings uh, really affecting me profoundly. What do I do about boundaries? What happens to healthy boundaries? I think Gil, that's, I think that's what Gil is going to talk about in this paragraph. So I'll read it again, and I hope you're able to be sitting through me reading. As meditation opens the ego boundaries that the world may or not may or may not require of us, mindfulness of the body helps to create a healthy center within the openness. Maintaining an openness to the world is safer if one remains aware of what is happening within the body. The body can provide more readily than any other avenue a tremendous amount of information about how we are affected by and reacting to any given situation. Without this information, there is the danger that contracted or expansive states of being will blind us to many aspects of who we are, that we will lose our sense of presence to either external situations or people, or to an inner world of thoughts and feelings. Within the Theravada Buddhist tradition, there are a number of different styles of meditation practice, some focused almost exclusively on mindfulness of the body. Others include, to various degrees, the other aspects of our humanity, feelings, emotions, thoughts, mental states and mental experiences. However, even among these latter styles, mindfulness of the body remains throughout one's practice the most foundational of the foundations of mindfulness practice. In the scriptures, what we call suttas on the four foundations of mindfulness. Under the foundation of the body, The Buddha included attention to the breath, body sensations of all type, physical postures, the body in activity, and the systematic exploration of the entire body. I believe that the other three foundations of mindfulness are best understood after one has begun to stabilize or awaken one's awareness of the body. Uh, when he's talking about body sensations of all types, that's when we're looking at those sensations that are uh, come directly to us from our contact with the, our, through our senses. But we first look at those sensations as 
pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Sometimes those those are called feelings, and that's confusing for us because we think of emotions as feelings. But body sensations is what uh, is often called feelings in the Buddhist teachings, and that's when we're working with, with the body and understanding those feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. Various streams of the Mahayana Buddhist tradition have similarly placed great stress on the importance of the body. Several Mahayana scriptures enthusiastically insist that the body itself is bodhi, or awakening. One tantric song says, here in this body are the sacred rivers, here are the sun and moon, as well as all the pilgrimage places. I have not encountered another temple as blissful as my own body. It's beautiful. The Japanese Zen tradition has also stressed the importance of the conscious participation of the body in practice. The Zen master Dogen, teaching that Zen practice involves the unification of the body and mind, wrote that mindfulness of the body is the body's mindfulness. In the end, the central position that the body has in the Buddhist tradition does not mean that we need to direct our attention willfully toward the body as if awareness and the body were two separate things. Rather, the teaching of mindfulness of the body is an invitation for us to wake up to the awareness that is already present in the body. Practice is not directing or creating something. The beginning and end of practice is the awakening of what is already there within our hearts, bodies, and minds. So we'll end our meditation here. Thank you. And I've really kept you over, over my time slot. So, um, May everything that we do and say and think, not only in this time together, but for the rest of the day and for all days to follow, may all of this be done for the benefit of not only ourselves, but for the benefit of all other sentient beings. So thank you so much. Thanks for being patient, but I think this is uh, just, that was, that was just a wonderful chapter. It didn't sound a lot like meditation guidance, but it was uh, overall guidance. I hope it was helpful. Thank you, and I'll see you on Tuesday. Bye-bye.